What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. It is good to have you join us for today's show. I'm Dean. I'm Zach. And we're back again with a great episode today. Super excited to have uh, sat down and shared conversation with an incredible, incredible person, incredible athlete, um, all around kind of wonderful human being, Harvey Lewis. Harvey Lewis, the ultra runner. Yes, teacher, ultra runner, does it all on a vegan diet. He's been run commuting to work for 10 years. 10 years. Um, I love that he's a teacher. I think it's so cool. I mean, I'm sitting here with Dean, who's also a, a teacher and um, a explorer of movement, running, exercise, all sorts of ways. So I saw lots of parallels in what Harvey's doing and what you do, Dean. Mm. Yeah, it was, thank you. It was cool to connect and, and even in, you know, our pre, pre and post pod conversation, kind of sharing about the different places and spaces we teach similarities and differences and, and all of that. Um, but ultimately knowing like, you know, you're wanting to help these young people engage in the world and, you know, teaching is one thing. It's about like delivering content, but really it's about teaching students, young people that they can do it. Like they can do things that maybe seem hard or things that they don't understand that um, with a little bit of determination and some effort and some maybe like guidance along the path, they can achieve things that they at one at one time never thought possible, which is really like kind of just a, a lesson that transcends the the walls of a school system and would carry people through their lives. It's funny, um, kind of on this on this note, on this wavelength of thinking, um, Megan, my wife, sent me this post the other night um, that's it's kind of for children, but uh, I think it's for everyone as I read it. And it's advice from an Olympic gold medalist from uh, uh, Nastia Lyukin. I'm probably saying her name wrong, but she's an uh, Olympic gold medalist. Sorry, sorry if I'm butchering your name. But... Um, I'll, I'll get it right if I am getting it wrong. Uh, her question is what to do if your child wants to quit a sport. And the advice she gives, I think, is is relevant for um, for everybody. So I'll just kind of share it, and, and then we'll get back into Harvey. So imagine your child comes back from a practice and said, I hate karate. It's too hard. I don't want to do this anymore. Just tell him this. Okay, you can quit, but not today. Then explain, we all have bad days when we want to quit. When something feels hard, our brain and body resist because they want us to be comfortable. Makes sense, right? But if we quit on a bad day, we will never become great at something, and we might regret this later. So here's the deal. You can quit on a good day. When you have a successful day and you still want to quit, let's talk. And I think, one, this Mm -hmm. is great advice for kids, but I think, like, as I was reading it, I'm like, this is great advice for everybody, you know, whether you're going for a run and it's your first run and, you know, you get 100 meters in and you're like, this is hard. I want to quit. You know, it, it's amazing if you persist, it starts to feel good. And soon that 100 meters becomes 5K, 10K, an ultra marathon. Who knows? You know, in business, you have hard days and, and you might want to quit. But why quit on a bad day? You know, because that's that will forever be the last chapter if you quit something mm-hmm. on a bad day. It's this negative connotation that kind of builds a wall of trying that again or going back there or even exploring something similar. But if you persist through, one, it's going to build resilience, confidence, you know, possibility. But also, if you quit on a good day because, man, it's just not for you anymore, 
then that's your closing chapter is of positivity of possibility. I think it's just such a beautiful lesson for, for children and for us adults. Yeah. For all of us. What do you think? I love that. I I absolutely love that. I think um, it speaks to like the idea of like being resilient and the reality that it holds within it is that there are times when we will all want to quit because things are hard and then that's like honoring. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's natural. But if you do stop here, you might miss out on something or you might live with the regret of, man, I wish I tried one more time. And I think that giving yourself permission to quit, but not in that instant is a really freeing thing to be like, okay, yeah, you know what? Okay, I'm going to try it one more time or a few more times and I'll quit. I'll quit on a good day. And if I still feel like quitting on a good day, then maybe it's time to explore that option. It doesn't say you can never quit anything ever, right? I, I just feel like it's um, it's a really healthy reframe of how to participate in something, how to engage in things that are hard, how to experience failure and embrace failure and not feel like, well, I didn't win or I didn't achieve the outcome that I wanted. So therefore, I'm just going to stop doing that thing. Um, I think that's a that is not a that is not just a sport specific lesson. That is a life lesson that we mm-hmm. I think could all all benefit by implementing normalizing struggle you know i think running raising kids business you know trying something new trying new lifestyles out new new foods whatever like it's it's easy just to quit because it's different or it's hard but if we can normalize hard things normalize struggle and and honor choice as we are able to persist through these things I think that mantra, never quit on a bad day. It's a good one. It's a good mm. one. And when we think about, you know, our guest today, Harvey Lewis, like we yes. talked to him just on the heels of what some might say, like an unsuccessful attempt at the Barkley Marathon. And, you know, to make it into the Barkley Marathon, uh, we talk about on the podcast, if you don't know what it is, it's an inc- it's an incredibly challenging kind of trail race that is really in a league of its own. Um, shrouded in mystery and intrigue and is orienteering and just gut-wrenching kind of elevation and weather and elements. And I mean, Harvey does a lot, but his post was incredible when when he didn't quite finish. And, and we had the privilege of speaking to him very, very shortly after, uh, days after really he finished. Uh, he says in his Instagram post, I missed the cutoff for lap two by 10 minutes. Laz, who is the person who runs the race, Laz grinned with an ornery expression and said, you got the first lap in one year, second lap in year two. All you need is three more years and you'll have the five laps. He says, Laz is a master at dangling the carrot. And really, isn't that just don't quit on a bad day? Don't quit on a bad day. You didn't make it. You didn't have the outcome you wanted. But you know what? Give it a few more years, right? And and you'll stay. Because after, uh, you know, missing missing a cutoff time to a race and being so close, like that can be really defeating. But I mean, Harvey has an incredible perspective, which he shares on the show. But uh, I think that that's just a beautiful kind of uh, reminder, both in what you shared and, and in, you know, the context of this conversation we had with Harvey Lewis yes. is uh, that kind of like gritty never quit and don't don't give up especially on a, on a hard day kind of mentality yeah if harvey if harvey quit you know he would have closed the door to so many possibilities so just looking at what he's accomplished you know we don't 
we can celebrate the the DNFs and and the losses and the setbacks along the way. But uh, just to put into perspective some of his mm-hmm. accomplishments, he's the the winner of the Long Haul 100, uh, winner of Big Dog's Backyard Ultra, where he ran 354 miles. I don't even know how many kilometers that is, but it's wild. a lot. I mean, I think sometimes I pat myself on the back when I run 10 kilometers. So the fact that he ran 354 miles to win this race, unbelievable. Two-time winner of Badwater Ultra Marathon which is said to be the hardest race in the world. Dave Goggins became famous for Badwater. That's kind of was one of his, along with being a Navy SEAL, but uh, winning Badwater was one of his claim to fame. And and Harvey has won it twice, 135-mile run in one of the hottest, hardest places in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the list goes on, his accomplishments, um, are only, you know, surpassed by the amazing human that he is. Exactly. Yeah. No, it was so amazing to be able to sit with him and just and, and chat, hear about his story and and really, yes, share time with this person who's an incredible, incredible athlete, but just such a down to earth, humble, warm, curious human. Um, and yeah, we couldn't be we couldn't be happier to share this episode with you all. And again, like whether you're a runner or not, the the lessons about doing hard things and showing up and, you know, the grit and, and the kind of like uh, practice of running mind, body and soul uh, is something that transposes into everyday life. So whether you're a runner or not, uh, you could you could definitely get behind Harvey in this episode. And if you do have friends who are runners, you think they'd love this episode, please do share it with them. Send it. You can just send a link right in a text or a WhatsApp or an Instagram or any way you send messages. But just make sure that, um, you know, people who who love to get out and pound the pavement or the trail or whatever it might be, uh, you link them up with this episode because it's truly a special one. And Harvey is a special yes. person. Yes. And the best way to support the podcast and spread the good word is to leave a review, a on Spotify, Apple, wherever you tune in, leave a review, like, follow, and support our sponsors. That's yeah. the best way you can uh, support what we're doing here at A Little More Good. So with uh, no further ado, we've got a couple of show sponsors before we turn things over to Harvey. Yeah, we're really excited to share about our new sponsor for the show today, Caldera Lab. So you can say goodbye to any generic face wash on your counter because Caldera Lab is here to save the day when it comes to your skin. Backed by a leading clinical trial where 9 out of 10 men experienced healthier and visibly improved skin, Caldera Lab has the tools to unlock your best first impression and confidence. And today we have an exclusive offer for our audience so you can try it for yourself and see why so many men trust Caldera Lab for their skincare needs. Use our code MOREGOOD at calderalab.com for 20% off your their best products and get yourself ready to go with that glowing skin we've been using it we love it dean you've never looked better my man well you know i don't know if it's your hydration or our caldera lab i'm gonna say a little bit of both but uh you've never looked so so beautiful my friend well there you go thank you yeah i think it's uh it's part of the regimen that that caldera labs it's simple right because like i don't want anything crazy and complicated the regimen they have is so simple it's like a twice a day routine you get the bundle you start with a clean slate you just like wash your face. It's a gentle plant-based cleansing um, face wash. Feels good. Smells good. It leaves your skin feeling like really refreshed. 
dry it off. A little bit of the base layer, which is a nutrient-dense fortifying moisturizer. It really hydrates your skin, absorbs fast, and like you can notice it in a good way, like not like all day. It doesn't feel like something's on your face, but it just your face feels good with that base layer. And then the good, which I love the product. The That's good. It's your go-to like before bed kind of uh it's just like a, I like to call it like my face serum, you know, a few drops, massage it in, multifunctional, multifunctional serum that helps your skin look tighter and smoother. And, you know, you got, we're all getting older. You might as well age gracefully. And, you know, I, I always say it's like, it's 2023. Gentlemen, if you don't have a skincare routine, you're not doing it right. So get it on I'm with right. Caldera Labs. Again, you can check them out. Go to calderalab.com and use our code more good for 20% off all of their products. There we go. All right, get that moisturizer, get that uh, Caldera Lab in your life, my friends. Mm-hmm. Much needed. And our next sponsor, we love, you've heard about them before, Athletic Greens, coming at you with that AG1 daily dose of 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, probiotics, prebiotics. The ingredients are next level. They're top shelf. They can replace pretty much all of the supplements that you take, the multivitamins, all of the things. you got gut health. You've got immune-supporting vitamins. You've got all of the things, the adaptogens, helps with your stress. Again, you keep your skin looking on point from the inside out. AG1 has everything you need to just be a healthy, happy version of yourself. Maybe you'll even run a backyard ultra with Harvey. You'll be feeling so good. There we go. I've been watching a lot of basketball, you know, looking at the roster, and I feel like AG1 is just that all-star roster. Mm. Prebiotics, probiotics, daily dose of vitamin C, zinc, functional mushrooms, rhodiola, magnesium, B vitamins. Packed with superfoods, adaptogens, antioxidants, it's like it's the full roster. You got, you know, MJ, LeBron, Kobe, they're all on the team. So, uh, you know, this is my favorite daily ritual. 75 high quality vitamins, minerals and whole food source nutrients, comprehensive nutrition and one simple scoop builds a healthy daily habit in less than one minute a day. And I like to say that, uh, you know, rituals, um, being consistent with something is, is the foundation of your wellness. And I love starting my wellness every day with AG1. So if uh, those listening want to get some AG1 in their life, where would one go, Dean? Oof, you got to hit them up. Athleticgreens.com slash more good. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash more good. Sign up, get your AG1. You're going to get Five free travel packs, which are real handy. You're going to get a nice little tincture of immune-supporting vitamin D, which is all important. Um, And you're going to unlock your fullest potential by supplementing your life with Athletic Greens AG1. So again, athleticgreens.com slash more good. Get after it, friends. All right. On to this week's episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of A Little More Good. We are very, very excited to go uh, the distance with our guest today. Um, amazing human ultra runner, teacher, uh, activist, human rights activist, just uh, uh, someone that we have admired in terms of athletic pursuits, but also just the way that you carry yourself in this world. Harvey Lewis, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being with us. Dean, thank you, and excited to be here with you guys. I really appreciate the introduction. Yeah, of course. We're, we're excited to catch up with you. Like I said, we, um, 
you're, you're someone that we've admired and, and looked up to in terms of just how you uh, how you've entered the the running scene. And we first uh, I think discovered you, or I, I first discovered you through the Rich Roll podcast, and was just blown away by your story and um, has been following you ever since. And really really uh, excited to chat with you today because you know as your as your journey. Um, of a, as a runner has kind of unfolded, just you're, you're hot off the heels of completing, competing the second time in the, uh, uh, Barkley marathon. So, um, good to see you. I was <laughs> like, man, I was cheering for you. I was cheering for you to just oh, keep going the distance, you. but I was like, the longer you run, the more tired you might be when we sit down for this conversation. So <laughs> I am still tired. Like it's been a week, but, uh, or six days or something like that. But, uh, even last night, like I, I got like nine hours of sleep, which is a lot of sleep. I mean, I like sleep, but I normally get like seven and a half, maybe hours of sleep. But last night I was just like, oh, I'm going to bed nine. I woke up at like six this morning, like kind of slow to get out of bed. So it definitely takes some energy out of you. Yeah. So my, my first question is, did you, did you wake up and run to school on Monday? No, I, 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 Woke up and ran to school on Friday. Okay. <laughs> so that that was kind of a whole nother crazy story because I, I waited around to see the, the amazing finishes of the, you know, uh, uh, Aurelien, the Jesus, crushing uh, our French runner's name. How do you say his name? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, Let's look it up here. Yeah. I, give us, I give us the Anglophone version. Uh, Guillaume is going to kicked my butt for messing up his friend's name <laughs> but uh his finish was remarkable i mean he almost finished with an hour and a half to go uh, which of course the, the the pressure is just tough for each year Arulian, um but john kelly and then carl uh so i, I stayed to see all their uh finishes and i may be messing up his name so i, I apologize to him but guillaume uh, guillaume calmet uh, was that Guillaume? Guillaume Calmet? Oh, yeah. Guillaume's, Guillaume's my buddy. Okay. Guillaume's, uh, Guillaume and I, we went head to head in um, the Barkley race or Badwater race. Badwater, Biggs race. You can see I'm still like maybe like feeling the aftermath <laughs> of Barkley. I like can't even speak straight. <laughs> but yeah, Barkley does that to you. Yeah, Guillaume, uh, Guillaume is one of the French runners who he helped uh, the guy who actually. Um, won the race to, to do so well. And he was one of the people that helped him. But uh, yeah, that Barkley race is just uh, like nothing on the planet. Um, you, you know, when you're looking at it and you're thinking like, how is it even possible people are having this much trouble to run a hundred miles? Like, it's like no normal, of course, everyone knows it's like normal, no normal 100 mile course. But even beyond that, it's it's just the steepness of the hills, the mountains. Like they're just so incredibly steep. It's uh, like you're looking at forty grade, forty percent grade, and that's that's like just so steep you cannot run up it. You're gonna hike fast. So it's uh, I have not yet master Barkley. <laughs> it has beat me up really bad. Both in both years, the only saving grace I have from the experience is I am very grateful that I, I did much better this year than I did last year. But much better was marginal. <laughs> it was I finished, I almost finished a second loop. I missed it by ten minutes, the cutoff. And last year I I I like checked out uh, about 
midway through the second loop. So uh, to me, that was a small victory. But of course, I had my sights on like going the whole distance. But I know my training just has to evolve like tremendously to be successful in that race. So as somebody that's competed in, that's won some of the hardest races in the world from from Badwater to Biggs Backyard, um, I think you ran 340 miles to win uh, Biggs Backyard. If I'm somewhere around that, right? If I'm if I'm not wrong. Yeah, uh, 354 miles. 354 miles, which, Close, is, I mean. which in Canadian terms is a lot. Yeah, because <laughs> we're in kilometers. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it's a wild experience. So you've won some of these, some of the hardest races in the world. Can you kind of tell us what, can you kind of give us a, a walkthrough of Barkley and why it's so hard for, you know, we see runners like yourself that have kind of accomplished what we see as, as the most difficult uh, to accomplish, that, that Barkley is this puzzle that seems impossible to crack even for the most elite runners in the world. Well, it kind of be like uh, putting me out on the English Channel and, and telling me to swim across the English Channel. Like I, I like endurance, so I would be strong in a sense of just being determined mentally and you know just cranking it. I'm a slow swimmer. Uh, I'd have to learn how to swim better. With Barkley, there's things that are that just gigantic um, portions of the race. So I, number one is obviously the orienteering aspect. So with ultra running, you know, it used to be I would get tripped up if, if I looked at a map and I thought, oh, you know, there's a chance I might miss this left turn at mile 20. <laughs> and maybe there's only like a couple of turns in the whole race that are like a concern. Like that is just laughable now. Like, I mean, it's just absolutely pure laughable because the, the mayhem of Barkley, I mean, there were runners who, who had orienteering experience who made mistakes going off the first uh, book. Like, so it happens to people uh, that it's, it's just uh, very, it can be very difficult. We were very lucky this year in the sense of the elements. We didn't have like the crazy fog and that can be like another thing or crazy rain. So we benefited from, it was cold. But we didn't have that crazy rain or like I had the previous year or the crazy fog. That makes it really tough to navigate. But for um, the navigation is really a challenge. Like, and I like that. It was so much fun to learn. I went from like, uh, you know, on a scale of one to 10, like a two, like in terms of very low, like understanding of like, you know, uh, Matt map orienteering and like compass reading and all the other things. I mean, I could do it at a very base level. Like to last year, I moved to like maybe like a, a 3.5 or a 4. And then this year I've moved up to maybe a 6.5 or 7. So I'm, I've been improving. And like this year, I was very happy that on the first loop, I did most of the orient, the guiding and orienteering with the exception of like one book where I followed another veteran. And then I actually didn't think that was the best line we took. So, uh, and I had two other uh, Virgin Barkley runners who followed behind me in loop one. And we did a couple of times checks and balances with each other. But for the most part, I led us to the points, um, which for me, that was very satisfying because I went from a place where the previous year I was, I had, 
I'd um, Greg Hamilton. He's a New Zealand runner, Kiwi runner, who's incredible. He's he's a world champion at Rogaine, and he could take you through like a extremely wooded area where you can't see more than 100 meters and there's like different spurs going off in different directions and he could lead you to the fork within a meter or like within literally like a, a meter wow. like i mean his his navigation he was running down the hill like looking at his compass having the map out and running faster than i can down the hill last year i was doing everything i could to just try to keep up but um so my first loop last year was quite a bit faster it was like 837 and this year my first and I meant purposely to like run slower my first loop because I thought that that would make things better I thought like by pacing myself I would be able to survive better in later laps uh, but uh, this year my first lap was like nine hours and 50 minutes so it was like an hour and 20 minutes slower hour and 15 minutes slower like what in the world like um and I thought, well, that's still pretty close to the margin. I was aiming for like eight or nine thirty, but it it just uh, I understand now that it's there's just such incredible pressure. Like I mean, the top three guys who finish, they finish by a margin of like like Carl less than seven minutes, and I mean that's just so incredible to be like at that level of, of high level proficiency, and then you're trying to execute everything flawlessly. And then you're only making it by that ever slim margin. It's incredible. So there's very little room for major error. Like you can make small mistakes on the course, but if you make like a major blunder, it, it just it can rack you like in terms of like the psychological element, as well as the actual time element. So you have to be constantly adaptive and just have thick skin. If you make some mistake, you have to just, recover as best you can and go back on um but yeah the navigation is something that i didn't quite understand like the degree of the difficulty probably when i first heard of barkley five or ten years ago while well, i was following it it just i mean it sounded really i didn't really quite understand that but a lot of people that come and run the race are coming like last chooses individuals that number one he chooses people that are uh, he really feels he can trust that are going to get themselves out because there's a hundred percent extraction rate. Like they've never had to like go in and get somebody out of the park. So that's critical for who Laz selects. Um, but he also selects from a diversity of sports. So it's not just like ultra runners, but it's really fascinating that he'll select someone who, you know, I know last year there was someone who was uh, a, 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 a teacher of like orienteering for one of the military branches in America. And like that was pretty cool to, to run into him and hear his experiences, how he got into the race, and more folks that are like into like uh, more Rogaine World Championship races and stuff like that, uh, or like Jasmine, uh, who's been remarkable. She she's the first woman to get into the fourth loop. Uh, she she's a you know a national champion fell runner. I didn't even know what that was with you before I had to look that up, which sounds ridiculous. I, I, did you guys know what that was when you first heard it? No, no, no tell us. Yeah, so fell running is like um, is literally you're running up mountains off trail. Oh, so you're you're like doing that rigorous mountain uh, off trail running up and down 
mountains. So it's it's kind of like sky running, where you know it's uh, but it seems like it's longer than a vertical mile or vertical kilometer. So I mean, I didn't even know what that was. I had to look that up. So it's it's interesting because ultra running has all these specializations, but Barkley has you know it, it definitely dives into areas that make people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, because yeah. you're combining like surviving 60 hours, you know, so you have to survive sleep deprivation, and then you're running uh, a largely off trail versus being on a trail, and you have to orienteer. So like the first loop was great. Like I actually hit things spot on. Uh, I was really proud um, because that for me was a major accomplishment because last year I felt really uncomfortable and dependent on, you know, the runner in front of me that I selected who was a veteran to survive. But this year I felt much more comfortable. Now, the second loop was another story because I made some mistakes in the second loop. Uh, ultimately, we, we recovered from them. But they were mistakes that, you know, finishing that second loop would have been relatively simple had I not made those navigational errors. So uh, one, for example, that I'll share is that coming off one of the mountains, I simply looked at my compass and like, if you guys, you know, the compass numbers are kind of small and I thought I have wonderful vision, <laughs> but at nighttime, apparently it's not so great. So I was looking to like hit like a certain number and I missed it by like 10 10 points off so we ended up like a half a mile off our target and then there were all these like creeks and i'm like this is not i don't remember any of this on the other direction um because this year we did like you know uh clockwise one way next loop counterclockwise um but didn't recognize those creeks but we were able to like see a couple of things, look at our map. And it was nice. We were able to actually like look and say, oh yeah, this creek is running south. So we were able to reorient and find out where, where we were. So I was, again, I was proud that we were able to like not say, okay, it's over with altogether. We were able to correct ourselves and like get back on the path. But yeah, those, those mistakes were a little bit, uh, you know, that, that definitely cost the, the loop not being able to go for like the fun run. Um, but I, there is another moment I had like on that nighttime loop where we, we came off the mountain uh, above our point that we were aiming for. And I recognized literally a pipe, like it was really dark. And I mean, I recognize a pipe and I like, Oh, I know exactly where we are. We got a hundred meters away from like the spot. <laughs> It is like things look differently, different, much different in the daylight, in the nighttime. Um, and it's like you can rehearse this a lot and it can be really challenging for everybody, especially as you're getting that sleep deprivation. So it makes me all the more it, admiring what, what the uh, three finishers were able to achieve along with there's only been 17 total finishers and over a thousand starts of this race. So what they were able to achieve is is all the more remarkable because they had to be really lucid in those final the final like 24 hours uh, making these you know uh, decisions. Uh, it's just really impressive the degree of focus that they had to retain. Yeah. yeah. But the orienteering is like the number one. That's one of the number one things that people get uh, just messed up with. 
I mean, because you may think uh, if you could just run the tangent, like I always like to run the tangent when I'm running a race, like the, the points uh, are the, you know, like if you're running in a track, you would run in like lane one, you're not going to run out lane three. Or if you're like making a turn and you it's, it, it's formidable and the whole road's open, you're going to like go towards the tangent on like a race car. But in Barkley, you know, you end up like, if, if you're not really a, an amazing orienteer, you, you can end up like zigzagging a bit when you're like going at nighttime and you're looking at your compass. I mean, it's sometimes hard to pick a point at nighttime. And it also, uh, it, you, if, you, if you're really good with it, you can look at a map and understand that if you just move like 40 meters to the right, then the grade is less than where you are currently. And that's not very easy. That's actually another level. Like when you're starting to do that, you're above that seven out of 10 level. You're, you're at that next great Hamilton level where you can look and see the exact place on the map where the grade is going to be the least uh, resistant. So that's huge. The, the other thing is my training. Like I, I have to be honest, like that I learned a lot through these two years. Uh, and I don't know if I'll ever have an opportunity to go back because there's only 40 people invited each year. But uh, training on the proper grade is critical. Like, I mean, if you're just going out and running elevation, or uh, that's, that's nice, but it's not going to get you prepared for Barkley. Barkley must entail, like, super steep, like, grade for training. Wow. <laughs> so there's so much. There's such a, like, a lore to this, to this race, too. Like, everything that you were talking about in terms of what you have to know to be able to succeed – uh, what you have to do physically, obviously, to be able to do it, but just like mentally staying sharp and, you know, being able to stay focused and and calm under pressure, showing up at a place and be like, ah, we're, we're not where we want it to be. And then, you know, reorienting and pivoting and trying to stay calm and stay focused. I mean, it, it's incredible. I'd love to know on your Instagram post that you did, I love how you started out with this idea. It was an exciting race. It may appear as a failure to not finish, but I don't look at it that way. Can you tell me what it was like when you got to the yellow gate and realized like you'd missed it by, you know, just a matter of minutes? Like what, you know, Zach and I were both competitive too. We like to challenge ourselves and push, but there's that moment of I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve, but even setting out and participating in this is a, is, is a win in many ways. So, so what, what were the mix of emotions? What did you feel in that moment of recognizing I made it, but I just missed it? Yeah. So it kind of went back to, uh, a few books before I was with Piotr and he was the, uh, national champion of the Bigs backyard this last year. We had no intent to like necessarily team up at all. Like I had suggested some advice for him, prior to the race. And we actually teamed up for the whole daytime and nighttime loop after like book number three or something, we, we kind of collided. And I really love that. And I, I noticed at that moment when we were a few books out, I was like, you know, Piotr, you're, you're moving really well. Uh, you should go. Uh, and, and he went. And after he went, like I was trying to move fast. And I knew from that moment that like I'm cutting it a bit close. I thought I could maybe make it still. Um, I went up like the final climb I had and I went up really quick and I was like, wow, this was quicker than I was anticipating. Like really, I might have a shot now. I just can't mess up like this next book. 
So I found that book. Um, I overshot it by like 20 meters. I went past it and now went back. Um, but then once I found that book and then I started uh, downwards um, down the mountain and I, I then I was like, I, it was so close. I was like, ah, I just couldn't go fast enough. Like the, the down, down part going down the mountain was really um, slower for me. Uh, like I just felt like I was going to kill myself because <laughs> it's like, it's so steep. And then there's so many obstacles and, and I was tired. And so, I mean, I was like trying really hard and it wasn't like I could put, like, I couldn't push the pedal to the metal a hundred percent without just destroying myself. So I, I was trying really hard. I knew like maybe when I got down to like 10 or 12 minutes ago, I knew like, uh, shoot, I'm just not going to be able to pull this off because I've still got, I'm looking down and there's a long ways to go still. (laughs) So by the time I got down there, I already known that I wasn't, you know, where I wanted to be and I was over the time. So, you know, it's just, it was just like, okay, you know, I gave my best effort. Um, I made mistakes, uh, but I did a lot better and I did previous year and last said something like with a big grin he's like well harvey first year you made one loop second year you made two now you only need is three more years and you'll make all five <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's good at like dangling the carrot out there in front of you i mean i don't know if he, but i kind of uh you know my naivete i sucked that in i'm like oh yeah there, there you go lads. i put that in my mind uh, so yeah, and then I think afterwards, you know, uh, it is tough for individuals like myself who are very used to like being very successful in races. So like for me, it's one of my things is I'm uh, the last time I DNF'd in like a traditional ultra is like the Spartathlon back in 2010, and that was my one major DNF. And I say, and after that. I really, unless I'm injured, I'm not going to quit. Um, that's just my, my style. You know, even if I finish the last person, that's fine with me as long as I, I finish. But now we have the backyard ultras, which, you know, if you're not the last person standing, then technically you're DNF. So I've done some of those where I'm technically DNF. And then now I've done Barkley where I'm, I'm DNF twice. And so Barkley is just such a, a incredible monster of an event like that uh it last says like dnf is inevitable but like you know for us we just get our mindset that we're going to make the five loops <laughs> but maybe i don't know i going into it both this year and last year i, I like yeah, i guess last year i was like well i definitely don't want to be in a situation where i don't finish at least a loop and i like get lost in like book two or three or something like that personally but uh yeah, I also had in my mind like some grandiose idea that I could finish all five loops. And I think maybe next year, if I get in, I should just like <laughs> to finish three loops and survive three loops and then see where, where things go from there. Maybe my 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 mindset, the way I normally approach things is, is wrong for this race. I need to like have a different approach. I don't know. Like I have definitely not mastered uh you know, the Barkley race, um, but I've learned a tremendous amount. And I guess like by not succeeding, it does, uh, you know, 
kind of drive you to want to grow if you take it the right way. Um, but on the other hand, I do like, it, it does feel like not so great to like, you know, try really hard and then to come up short, like, you know, from where I really want to be and being so far back from where I really want to be, it doesn't feel like that great. Like, so I basically like, yeah, I, I have to like channel that into a positive because I could easily channel that negative. Yeah, absolutely. I think last year, to be honest with you, I think I think Carl struggled with that, like because Carl Carl made it like he and Greg made it the furthest last year. But I think you know, as well as I understand, like I think it it really it messed with him. You know, I think I could see how that race can mess with you if you like put a hundred percent in and then you don't make it. It's it, it's really difficult. It can be really difficult on you. Well, just listening to your story and, you know, what I've watched on uh, Netflix and YouTube uh, with various uh, runners and, and competitors, it feels almost as if, you know, this is something made for Navy SEALs in a way, like something that would be like a test to become a Navy SEAL and just just the competition between the sleep deprivation and the orienteering and the running and the elevation. Like it seems like if you're able to complete this, like the, the accomplishment is, is so novel that I feel very few, um, not only athletes, but you know, people that are trained in this way of living would be able to actually, you know, complete something of this degree of challenge. So I think even, you know, completing, two laps or three laps or one lap is just, you know, an incredible achievement. And obviously as a competitive person, you don't go there to, to just complete one loop. You want to, you want to win and complete all five. But I think there is victory in what you've done. And just, I think sharing the story and sharing the experience invites people to participate in, in new ways and invites people that might not be into traditional, you know, running around a track, it might open their eyes into new possibilities. So I think just showing up and, and, you know, being there for the start line, I think that's, that's a victory in itself. So I just want to applaud your, what you've accomplished there. Um, and I, I feel like there's, there's, uh, another chapter, another book waiting for you, uh, maybe next year or the year after. That's right. We'll see. <laughs> no, like, what, what you said makes a lot of sense. I mean, like, honestly, all of the runners, all 40 that showed up, uh, you know, I, I spoke to a couple of them who were really disappointed that they, you know, had like mishaps happen early on in the race. And, you know, like I, I said the same thing to them. I think, you know, just getting there and training for it, it you know, there's some, something in that too. Um, and, I, and I mean, even like, you may, you could take the most hardened individuals and Navy SEALs and all that. I honestly, I don't think that there'd be very few that would make it like in Barclay. I don't know that any of them would make it to be honest with you. Oh, it is, it is that tough. Like it's, it, I don't know that they would like, because it's, it's, uh, there's so many different elements are like working at the same time. Absolutely. I remember just like a, a small personal anecdote. There's like, um, a cabin I go to every summer in one of the Gulf Islands here. So I've been going there since I was one years old. So I know all the back trails, the deer trails, like really well. And uh, I went and did one, you know, around sunset. And I've done this like hundreds of times. And then it got dark after sunset. And I thought I was going to have to sleep atop this mountain. I couldn't find 
my way. This trail that I've done a hundred times, as soon as it got dark, I was so disoriented. I couldn't find my way back and anxiety set in, panic set in. I wasn't thinking straight. And I literally, like, there's one trail to look for and I couldn't, uh, for the life of me, I couldn't find it. So it's amazing when you, like, just change things ever so slightly, um, how the degree of difficulty, the mindset, you know, it becomes a different, that one path becomes a different race altogether. So I can't imagine, you know, sleep deprivation, trying to orienteer, all this stuff on top of that. It's, it's pretty, pretty incredible. It's it's a wild experience. Like Laz Laz did really well and come up with yeah. the real Yeah, it, it's it and it just like you have to like uh, everything is so precise. Like so you, you can't afford to make you know, a lot of times we're running, we zone out and we kinda just like we're focused on like our calories or focus on our pace. Yes. And focus on like the time of the day or what's gonna happen at the next, you know, uh, chance you get to see other human beings, <laughs> but it is like, you have to be so focused in your mind and it's, yeah, it's really, it's something, something wild of a race. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a mental, mental test as much as a physical one, like staying, keeping your yeah. wits about you and all of that, as well as just maintaining that physical effort that's required to climb the mountains and go, go back down them and then go around and up again. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And you know, Barkley is also really special because it's like cloaked in mystery. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, 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 that's another thing. Like there are people that, you know, uh, want to see the park and, and things like that. And it's, um, but there's some ground rules that like people should know, um, you know, it, the, uh, frozen head state park is, is really a, a beautiful place to explore. Um, but everyone that goes there needs to stay on the trails. Uh, it's like uh, part of the um, the the expectations of the park. So when you're training for Barkley, you have to if you're you're going to train off trail or something like that, you need to go find a place outside of the park. Uh, you know, in your your own state, wherever you are, uh, to train for that sort of thing. And then when you go to the park, you have to like you know uh, check out the yellow uh gate um but but stay on the park trails and they also like are only open during daylight hours too so um and during the race that's another thing so like laz really wants to keep things uh protected um you know the the race almost uh went away um and they actually had to get a a a legislation from the uh, the tennessee legislature to keep um, the Barkley alive, you go back in time some, um, because it's, it, it also is like a fragile ecosystem there. So there's only 40 runners. Um, and you know, it, it, it's why Laz puts a lot of thought into who he selects for the race and also why, you know, they don't want people coming out during the midst of the race as well. You know, so it, it's, it's really got that, uh, sort of, yeah, fight club sort of environment to it. Um, but, um, yeah, it's important to like also understand some of the cultural aspects to the race. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's pretty, it's a pretty special event for sure. And 
I think that's part of the draw of it is like the mystery and the intrigue around it. And, you know, even, even the glimpses and some of the, the docs and, you know, the YouTube videos that you can watch of that people have made about it. Like there, it still leaves a lot to be imagined, which is, which is part of the beauty of it. I, I love that. Like, and it's something I think that makes it special for people like yourself who've been out on course and, you know, it's kind of this, 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 um, unique group of, of humans from all over the planet that have this shared experience. And, and that's in, in the day of social media and sharing and posting and liking and resharing everything. It's pretty special that you, you all have that kind of intimate knowledge that only the runners of, of this incredible race have. So we're grateful for you sharing the, the stories uh, with us today that, that we can help, help us imagine, you know, what it might be like to be out there. I'll probably be dreaming about it for some time. <laughs> yeah, until the next yeah, letter of condolence. Head, like, wake up, where am I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say until until you get that next letter of condolence, right? And then. <laughs> oh man, uh, we'll see. It, it, it's hard to know if that will happen again. We'll yeah. see, but you know, if it does, if I only had those two two visits, and you know that that's really special to me. You know, it's also really neat that, like you mentioned, like the. The runners are, it's very international. I mean, I, I think more than half the runners were from other countries by far. Yeah, I'm not sure how many Americans were in the race, but it seemed more often than not, whenever I was, see anybody, like they were from some other place, oh, another funny. country. So we, we had, I had Piotr with me in the first lap, along with uh, Thomas, uh, who's from Belgium. And then on the second lap, uh, we, we ran into a, a guy, Luca from he's from Italy but he now lives in Norway and uh, we finished the second half of the loop together um, but it was really neat uh, you know, just that just a diversity of runners from all over the globe and then just the level of intensity like these people are really just they're at a hundred percent effort in terms of training I mean I know they come in just they're just raring to go. So it's, it's kind of impressive, just the level of, of competition. Yeah, it's so cool. Um, while we have you, I'd love to kind of pivot, pivot this con- the direction of conversation for, for a moment. Uh, you and Dean are both teachers, and I think it's so cool that you're able to, you know, be these role models for these students while kind of pursuing these competitive pursuits as well as kind of influencing these these next generations, um, but you also share uh, similar role models um, in the civil rights movement. And Dean, maybe you can kind of jump in with uh, Gandhi and the uh, the march of uh, the the salt flats. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it was just so neat. Like I said, when I first discovered you, I was like, "Man, this guy's amazing." I was like, "Whoa, he's a teacher." And and Zach was like, "Yo," he texted me. He's like, "He runs to work every day. Like you could do that, you know." And we have a river not far. It's like you could even swim. He's sometimes. And I was just like, "This is this guy is so cool." Like, I just love it. And you know, kind of following your story and then seeing you know these two these two runs that you did. Uh, one honoring Gandhi, retracing the 240 mile salt march in 2008, and then the next year. Um, running from Selma to Montgomery in honor of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I was just like, this is incredible because those, as well as the poster you have behind you of, of Muhammad Ali, like, Oh yeah. Uh, Ali is my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Like we just have this symmetry. Like those are, are for sure, you know, three icons from athletics, of course, but also just 
just uh, civil rights and and you know when I was a, a high school student myself, um, I had to do this project like pursuing heroes and the two heroes that I chose even as a Canadian kid was you know Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and Gandhi and the reason why I chose those two people as heroes of mine was because I looked at them or what I knew about them was in their corners of the world they literally changed the entire ecosystem through peaceful, nonviolent resistance. And I just thought that was so compelling and so interesting to me that like anyone can grab a sword, you know, and lead the charge. Anyone can, you know, choose violence as a means to try and change a system, but to do it through peace and, and nonviolent resistance it was so captivating to me as a young person that there's a better way to change the world. And so when, when I just saw all of these things converging, I'm like, man, Harvey Lewis is my guy. This is so cool. So can you tell me or tell us a little bit about those two, those two runs? Like what was the why behind those? Um, and what was that like to, to retrace the steps, uh, for sure on the, on the salt March. And then of course, like walking or running from Selma to Montgomery, what, what was that like? What was the why behind that and, and maybe a story or two from those experiences. Yeah, so, it's really cool. You 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 had that passion and, and interest in the in those figures. You know, for me, I guess like with running, I'm always uh, trying to like seek out enlightenment, and uh, and so I, I kind of wish I had the opportunity to do that sort of thing. You know, every couple times a year or or something like that, and. Uh, with teaching, you know, as I teach social studies and government, uh, so it, it really made sense to like kind of connect my passion and interest for like learning about the history and following like the historic route. And so with Gandhi, like uh, I was traveling to India for like about a month, India and Nepal, and it just kind of like hit me. I'm like, well, you know, I, I was kind of interested in like, that's one of Gandhi's biggest moments was, you know, picking up the salt and defying the British Empire and like, you know, mobilizing the people behind a nonviolent protest. And so I thought, man, that would be really fascinating to, to actually follow the 242 mile route, uh, you know, through through India. But really, that's where I started with it. And then uh, so we went to the Gandhi Ashram, uh, which is like the communal village that Gandhi had with his followers in Ahmedabad, which is a really large city. Ahmedabad is like a couple million people. And I really didn't um, quite understand like the difficulty involved with like what I was planning to do. Uh, I just kind of like grabbed a book and like uh, had a small backpack because I was like, well, if Gandhi can survive off of like 10 items his whole life or his adult life, then I should be able to survive off less things as well, you know, cause I'm actually really wanting to simulate this ex- life experience. So <laughs> I had like, you know, what I needed in my backpack and I wasn't as strong of a runner back in 2008. So, uh, I would definitely approach the running experience differently today, but, uh, I, the, there was like, uh, the Gandhi ashram was run by a director, like a museum director, and he organized like some media. And so they came out to the start and they had like a ceremony sending us off. And I started off running way too fast. <laughs> it was literally like, it was like 95 degrees with like 
100% humidity. So it felt like Death Valley. Like it felt really, really hot. And I just remember I'm just profusely sweating. And I only ran like 50K that day, I think. Um, but it like beat me up so bad. Like that night, I was like laying in the middle of this little tiny village uh, after having a dinner with the villagers. And like everyone had their like uh, sort of cot beds set out outside their uh, small, like um, humble, like uh, homes. And like I was just like laying there and there were like 20 villagers just standing up, looking down at me, including the dentist, <laughs> the village dentist. And I was just like, uh. <laughs> it looked pretty funny. So the physical aspect, but along the journey, I met really amazing folks. Like uh, one of the guys that came and spoke to me, he had like brought a note that was uh, saved that had like um, a message from Gandhi to his father on it. And he saved that and brought that and showed me the notes. And I also like got to like go through like Muslim communities as well as Hindu communities. So I got to see the diversity of the land, like going from bigger cities to like the more rural areas uh, and then just kind of uh, doing the research a little bit along the journey, like, you know, the, the museum at the start. Um, the end, we were met by like a director of a school for blind and deaf children. And like the kids finished the last mile with me, which was extremely moving. And uh, then we stayed that night in the school, like, uh, which was really just something phenomenal. So th there were... Uh, a lot of experience along the journey, um, but it was physically very daunting. Like I remember that it was like the second morning or the first night I actually had like blood in my urine and I've never my entire life ever had that experience. And I ended up going to like a hospital, like just walking into the hospital the next morning and like literally like, I think I was charged like three or $4 to be seen. I gave them like additional donation just because I was grateful. And like, they gave me some, I, I wasn't drinking any electrolytes. It was like 2008. And I just had like, just grabbing soda and waters and whatever else was along the route. So I was like lacking in electrolytes. So the, the guy gave me some electrolytes and seemed to get better. And I slowed down too, but um, my feet got destroyed on that journey. Like I had blisters inside of blisters. So it's the worst blisters I've ever had in my life. But, and I end up like being very, um, relative to how fast I thought I could run. <laughs> I was going for no speed records. Um, it, it ended up taking me, I think about, uh, 10 days. I have to look nine or 10 days, but I end up averaging like about a marathon a day. And that seemed like it was taking, I don't know if I was doing circles around circles or what, but it seemed like it would just take forever. Um, and I end up having to like, wear take my shoes off and just wear like uh flip-flops or sitting at sandals with sandals and then i had these bamboo canes because i got to a point where i was so tender on my feet from having blisters inside of blisters i like had to use those canes to like propel myself uh but uh you know the people i met around along the journey there were uh people that still like subscribed to gandhi's like you know idealism and people were proud of that period of history and independence so yeah there were some really neat like nuggets um along the journey 
Uh, and there were also like really challenging physical moments for me. And after that experience, it actually caused me to be a stronger runner, ultimately as a, as a ultra runner too, because of just surviving. It was difficult. Like my, my cousin who was Australian and his girlfriend were along with me the first two days, but they ended up breaking up. And like, um, they, they decided, cause it was just so crazy. Like the traffic, all the smog, the smog was the worst I've ever experienced my whole life. Um, and it was hard to breathe whenever you go through like the city, it was just like the dirtiest air. I felt so bad for, uh, the pollution and how the people were impacted, had to be impacted by that. Um, but yeah, then I had, like, I was by myself, uh, just day after day. And I didn't know where I was going to stay each night. So I just like, you know, sometimes like a random stranger one night, one guy Patel, he let me stay at his house. I just happened to run into him as the sun is setting. He's like, no, you can stay with my wife and I and my parents. And so, and he, and he stole it. He called me like this weekend. So it's, uh, it's kind of neat to have that, that experience. I guess I understand now he's told me that they've actually put up markers now that line the route. Cause there were a couple places where I wasn't, I wasn't like I am now with Barkley and it's, it's good at reading maps and like understanding things. And, you know, I know like some of the areas I, I, I could have taken a better like route, um, but I guess they, they have put those up. So that's kind of a neat, neat thing. That's so but, cool. That's so yeah, cool. All right. So that, that, that's the, the Gandhi salt march. And uh, from there, you know, they, I went in, um, I, I Selma relates much more directly even with the American government. You know, I mean, the Selma Civil Rights March was really paramount to like leading to like the Voting Rights Act. And it was, uh, you know, of course, Gandhi and the demonstrators in Selma were inspired by, um, um, like, uh, I mean, King was inspired by Gandhi. And uh, so uh, going down the Selma was really, that was not as much of a physical challenge because it was 54 miles. So back in 2008, I still wasn't as strong of a runner as I am today. So like 54 miles at one time, I was like, oh yeah, it was still like a good challenge, but it wasn't like the India experience. But with Selma, it was really amazing because I was able to actually interview uh, people that were directly in the like movement. So uh, one lady, we we uh, befriended was Amelia Boynton Robinson. And she was a hundred when I met her down there. Um, you know, so these people were kind of at the uh, sunsets of their lives in some of these folks. And um, also Mother Cooper, she was right around a hundred. And these ladies, they were incredible organizers. So like they were the foot soldiers behind the movement that you know, people don't hear as much about, you know, people are associated with you know, um, that, that march with Dr. King, but actually uh, he had come out for the second march, um, but the first march and third march, they, they were really organized by a lot of these other folks behind the scene. Uh, in, in, yeah, so just being able to like, you know, shake people's hands, like Reverend Reese, who was a friend of Dr. King's, and have him talk about, you know, the, the fear of the KKK and how how it was for him driving around at nighttime and just like all the pressures that were involved and as well as what happened at the Brown Chapel there where they organized and where, 
you know, just uh, hearing all these people's different perspectives, Harry Belafontaine, um, Mayor uh, Andrew Young, um, the, the folks um, that were real critical to to galvanizing the movement just brought a lot of life to it. So like, it's not just a, a textbook to me to talk about, you know, or, or even like, you know, a video or something like that, but to actually like speak to my students about that, those direct contacts and things that people said and how it's still really important that, you know, to, to understand the history. Yeah, that, that was really kind of neat, like connecting running with my, my other passion of teaching. So, uh, like I said, I, I, I think experiential learning is really powerful. And I wish that I could do that with my students every week. And we just, yeah, that would be my ideal dream. But uh, it doesn't always work that way. <laughs> so, but yeah, those, those were two really wild experiences that, that actually inspired me, uh, both like as a professional, as a teacher, as a human, as well as a, a runner, like those, those experiences absolutely yeah, informed all those three things. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, I think it's so cool that you had the opportunity to do that and, and pursued it and then like bring those experiences. Yeah. Into, into the classroom or, I mean, anywhere that you go, right. You carry that with you and through conversation, you can, you can share those, those experiences and yeah, that'd be one hell of a field trip. <laughs> I think it's students. a cool journey run. Like, I mean, honestly, like there's uh, I, I followed the Navajo nation, the long walk that they made from, uh, New Mexico to Window Rock. So that was another sort of journey I, I made. And um, that, but there's a lot of things I think people could like, you know, find interesting in following historic routes. And there's, a, there's so many historic routes out there. Like, I mean, uh, there's just infinite opportunities. And like, it's a great way to like try to build your understanding on a topic. So, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, there's just so, so many opportunities for people. I mean, I'd encourage anyone that's like, even like, you know, maybe interested in a piece of history to consider doing something like that. Yeah. Immersing yourself into the, into the scene and the, and the spaces and places and seeing the people always uh, hits different than like you say, watching a video or reading a book or hearing someone even tell a story about it. But when you're actually physically in the space, it can, it can change you in ways that you wouldn't anticipate. And I think that that is, you know, in a time that we live, that's increasingly more and more divided, being able to go to places and see the humanity of, of, you know, our neighbors, uh, is so, so incredibly important and, and learning from people that are different from us is, is something that we should never, we should never, uh, not pursue those opportunities. Um, Harvey, you said something at, at the beginning when you were talking about, uh, pursuing, running this, this salt, this salt march trail and, and kind of following in the footsteps of Gandhi. And you said, you know, you sometimes run to seek enlightenment, um, uh, for Zach and I both like running is, is in some ways like a deeply spiritual practice. It's a, it's the Zen zone. You can get out there and, and it's nobody can get you and we're alone with your thoughts, but can you speak to that, uh, in your own, in your own life? How is running, you know, how does it get you to that space of enlightenment or however we would, we would approach that or, or how is running uh, a spiritual practice for you? Yeah. It, 
I mean, honestly, it's uh, one of the only times in my life where I'm like solely alone with my thoughts and outdoors. And so it's like I ran to work today. That that feels really good. It's like I might be it just kind of helps me to like prepare myself for the day. And then right now, like it's been a bit of a hectic day, a little bit at work. And I haven't ran home yet. So uh, I'll, I'll look forward to running home because it, it just kind of gives me the opportunity to kind of clear my mind. But I have different experiences. There are some days, you know, I like to run with other people. There's some days where I like to run in the city. And there's some days where I just love to get out to like uh, a, a more remote state park and just be out there and just like silence. It's, it's just so, so amazing. So it, it definitely is... I can't imagine my life without it, um, but it, it it levels me. It like helps me to like ground myself uh, to find that calm within myself. And, and no matter usually whatever is going on around me, if it's crazy day or it bad, some bad experience happens, I'm able to like move beyond that through the practice of running. So it's yeah. I mean, there's days where I'm like feeling very tired. Like after Barkley, I could say like um, I was a little slow to get moving again like this weekend. You know, I'm not doing any long runs. You know, it's like I'm like just easy, easy, you know, uh, movements. Um, but uh, oh, all in all, like yeah, it's something that, that I I really like feel good about enjoying getting out. And it's like I don't make it competitive every time. Like I'm not out there. You know, I got to go run like a super fast pace. Like a lot of days I like to go out and just, just, just be out like running, moving. And it's, it's super powerful. Would you ever want to pursue, um, something like, uh, Sreech and Moy's run in Transcend, something like that in, in New York? Would you ever tackle a run like that? I, I, I would, if I wasn't probably teaching okay. <laughs> because I have limited, like, uh, time off and i mean yeah the summer yeah i would definitely do it but it, there's a couple of things that have to be happening and now my parents are older so it's like i feel like this uh necessity to you know try to take in all the time i can with them uh so because of that i don't know that i would do something like for that that long at this moment right now in time um, but I could definitely 100% see myself doing that race uh, down the road. That'd be amazing. I'd uh, I'd be there to to pass you some electrolytes along the way and <laughs> cheer, cheer you on. Maybe run a lap or two. Yeah. Well, um, Harvey, I I, I know um, you're off to see your mom today, so I want to be mindful of your time. Um, I just wanted to give gratitude for you know, the space you create through teaching and, and running. And, um, I think, you know, the start lines, you, you got this poster behind you where impossible is nothing. I think you embody, um, what that poster says behind you. You show us that, um, impossible is just impossible until it's not. Um, you know, we didn't have time to get into the plant-based stuff today, but I think, uh, you know, maybe another conversation we can share how you, uh, uh, accomplish all these amazing feats uh, well on a plant-based diet uh, similar to Dean and myself we believe you know that's a, a friendly way for our bodies uh, and our planets um, but before we get, let you go uh, we do have a closing question that we uh, 
ask all of our all of our guests here. Yeah. So again, just to echo Zach, thank you so much for for everything you do, the space you take up in this world, and and the inspiration that you are to people like us, and also I'm sure the students that uh, sit in your classroom and and see you turn up to school with uh, thorn marks all over your hands and stuff <laughs> after these wild Great races. Scene, Zach. But um, uh, we we started this podcast and we called it a little more good, knowing that that was the intention. That's what we wanted to kind of put out in the world and 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 be about in our own lives. So we'd love to hear from from the guests that we have on. Like, what does that phrase, that little saying, mean to you? A little more good. Yeah, that's great. Uh, uh, and thank you guys for both having me on. Uh, honestly, I do get that like inspiration. I'm sure when I'm like running home tonight, I'll be thinking about our conversations. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I think it just means like uh, trying to do, it, it reminds me of my friend, Mike Fremont, who's 101. And one of the things he said to me this year, it, it, it is like the, one of the greatest drives he has is to help someone, anybody, at anything. <laughs> that was his greatest advice he could give. And I, it, I thought that was beautiful. So, I mean, it, it might be something simple, but uh that might be something big as well. Okay. Know, so yeah, whatever that might be, it might be uh, you know something you say to somebody or or helping somebody in some way. But uh, if we can, you know, I, I see that as part of your title, you know, adding some positive energy to the world. For those listening, can you just give a snippet of how Mike's one hundred and one and still. Still oh, running, yeah. still so Mike, Mike is, uh, you, you honestly need to get Mike on the show, but he is, uh, he's all plant-based. Uh, he, he still like runs, uh, three times a week, five miles. And then depending on the weather, uh, seasonally, he's canoeing twice a week, uh, with, with his wife and help. <laughs> so, uh, he's, he's something else and he can do a lot of pull-ups. He can do more pull-ups than I can. He can do a lot, like 12 pull-ups. I don't know, he's going for more. So he wants to build up to more again. Um, but we're, we're planning to do a 5k race, uh, the first weekend of May together. So I, I, I really just love, uh, like and being around Mike offers a lot of enlightenment. That, that's incredible, Harvey. That's beautiful. That's that's uh, that's a goal right there that we can all strive towards is to be you know active and and inspiring people when we are well well into our years. So yeah, thank you for sharing that little that little bit about him. That's true. All right. Well, yeah. again, Harvey, grateful for for all that you do. Grateful for your time. We look forward to continuing to follow your journey, your races. You know, cheering cheering for you here from from Vancouver, Canada, and hopefully, uh, you know, we'll see you at a start line uh, north of uh, your border sometime in the future. Hey, I appreciate that, and I'm looking forward to coming up to Canada for the Canadian Death Race, and. Uh, we have some now. I have to recalibrate uh, and get ready for the backyard. So we have the world championship coming in the fall, and uh, yeah, I have some redemption to bring. <laughs> nice, <laughs> since, nice. Since, I, since I, I've, I've stumbled a bit at the Barkley, but uh, <laughs> like you said, opportunity for growth. And yes. uh, thank you guys so kindly for your generous. Uh, thoughts and and i I appreciate it to everyone that's viewing listening you know thanks for for uh keying in and uh 
Wish you all well with your adventures ahead. There you have it, friends. Harvey Lewis. I love that guy. Man, I, that doesn't mean you want to go run long distance. I don't know what will. I just want to be like Harvey's best friend, you know? Honestly, yeah. Get out there for a little run commute, chat, chat teaching strategies, chat race running strategies. He's got a couple of exciting ones coming up too. He mentioned uh, this summer he's coming to Canada to run in uh, Calgary, the Canadian Death Race. He'll be up there in the Rockies with uh, running with the Grizzly Bears. Um, he recently shared about uh, coming up this uh, this month in June. He's off to New Zealand and Australia for a battle royale of the last person standing in like another kind of backyard ultra. Um, it'll be unreal. He's running again the hottest race in the world, the Badwater 135, coming up in July. So you know that's going to be fire. So cheer him on. Follow him on Instagram at Harvey Lewis Ultra Runner to keep up with all of his races and just his inspirational kind of like daily doses of posts and stuff that he does. He's a great one. Yes. And if that resonated with you, uh, he has an amazing documentary like Harvey, like Sun. Adventures are only as important as who you adventure with. It's an amazing tale of of Harvey and his father. Um, they go on an adventure together. Um and the exciting news is that it's coming out on Amazon Prime. It may be out by the time this releases, uh, but it's an amazing documentary about their journey on the Appalachian Trail. Uh, so look that up, like Harvey, like Sun. It's an amazing, amazing documentary. And if you enjoyed this this conversation, I know you'll enjoy this film. Mm-hmm. Right on. And if you made it this far, thank you for your time, your attention, for listening through. Again, thank you to uh, Harvey for joining us and sharing his stories with us. And be sure to like, follow, um, give us a review wherever you listen to these, and share this episode with a friend. If you made it the year, you obviously enjoyed what you heard, so share it with a friend who you think might enjoy it as well. And uh, feel free to support our sponsors. Let us know what you think. Message us, tag us on all the social medias. We love to hear from you. So thank you, friends. Until next time, stay good, y'all. Peace.